Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At to left field and deep. Welcome back. High drive, deep right center field. Power, touch of all. First major league home run. Guardy, I've learned so much from you from over the years. You've always had a great knack for keeping things light and fun in the clubhouse and created an environment that made guys excited to come to work every day. You've been through a lot with me and have always been a big influence on how I approach the game, so thank you for that. Morny, I knew the day we played a pickup hockey game in the Isles of Sports Authority down in Fort Myers that we'd be good friends. <laughs> you were my longest teammate, and over all these years I never lost, I never lost sight of your ambition, perseverance, and love for this game. You played it well and you played it right. It was an honor to share the field with you. Mackie and... Mackie and cut Judd. Cut sorry, Joe. Joe. Sorry, Mauer? sorry, Joe. I'm Not sorry. on this day. Cut off a legend like that. Well, You're no, so I, was rude, gonna, I was just going to share the exciting news that Mackie and Judd, Zolgad, Brian Murphy, Manny Hill, and now Phil Mackie. There it is. See, it's very exciting. Do you feel left out as the, not, the only non-M in the house right now? Maurer, Manny, Murph, Mackie. You know, I really don't. <laughs> Hadn't even thought about it, but I guess I could. Zolgad. You know, all right, so here's my here's my hot take today about this whole thing as this conversation has played out since we did the touch them all with Wetmore and collar at two o'clock. It's going to take some time probably, but Joe Maurer is a hall of fame player. Like, I don't think this is going to turn into a big, huge debate. I think if you look at the, the more I look at the 10 years, 10 years, so not like two or three, Mm -hmm. 10 years catching three batting titles, the only human being in the history of the junior circuit, the American League, to win a batting title as a catcher, I don't think nationally this is going to be that that hot a topic. I don't think he goes in first ballot because that's a sacred cow that we could never vote. But I really think, statistically, people are going to take a big step back and be like, he was dominant for a decade playing a position that most people with his talent are immediately moved from. Yeah, the the the, the scrutiny locally. I feel like we've we've sharpened this pencil to a nub, and yes. now it's like it's just to the point where people complained so much about what he wasn't and forgot what he was, which is everything you just mentioned. In fact, I'm glad you brought up the ten years as a catcher because before I came on here, I just wanted to see because in my mind, if and I don't have a Hall of Fame vote, but in my mind. Hall of Fame is more than just numbers. It, it can't just be well. You have to get to this, you know, many hits or this many home runs. To me, it's about were you one of the greatest players of your era, and then where did you compare to other players at your position? 
And you know, he has deficiencies. He didn't hit for power. He didn't really do anything in the postseason. They went 0-10 in the games in which he factored in the postseason. But in his 10 years, as a catcher, mind you, so he didn't. Albert Pujols didn't have to carry a piano on his back and have pads and go out there and grind behind the plate. Albert Pujols got to stand around at first base for the majority of his career. So that, that helps you offensively. In his 10 years as a catcher, he ranks second in the major leagues in on-base percentage behind only Pujols. Second in batting average behind only Miguel Cabrera. And if you want to go sabermetric on it, eighth in wins above replacement over that period. So by that definition, if you just want to go by statistics and era, I think people on the outside who didn't watch him every game and get frustrated by the ground balls to second base are going to say, oh, yeah, I mean, like before he moved to first base, there was no doubt about him as a Hall of Famer. So that's what should stand. Well, don't forget also, you can look at the 2014 through 2016, the downfall when he's when he was hitting 260 and striking out a lot more, and he ultimately blamed that on concussion, lingering concussion symptoms. But think about what he did in 2017. He was a gold-glove caliber first baseman. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever won a gold-glove at catcher and first base. He came very close to doing that. You you could make an argument he should have won it last year, or uh, 2017. And this year, too, even though he dinged himself again with a concussion, he came back from that, played very, very solid. He turned himself into a very, very good defensive first baseman. Decent range, not great, but there wasn't a ball that got by him that was ever in the dirt. He found a way to transform himself from a bona fide Hall of Fame catcher to, his, you could say, a star first baseman in 2017, and at least in 2017 and 2018. And I think that that should sand some of the edge down a little bit from the unproductive years. And it, it doesn't rise to the level of what he did as a catcher, but there is some redemption quality to that. Yeah, it's also fair to say, too, and let's let's go to the postseason track record. So Jack Morris was a guy who was on the fence, on the fence, on the fence, didn't get voted in, and then went to a veterans committee, and if not for Game 7 and the, the postseason heroics, he probably doesn't get in. He's on the fence. Joe Maurer sort of the other way, right? He's on the fence, on the fence. Okay, well, what else do you have in your bag there. He doesn't have a walk-off moment or, you know, a, yeah. a great postseason moment to crystallize that. Yeah. Now, at the same time, we tend to pin way too much on individual baseball players. Baseball players aren't as influential as we'd like to think. You know, Mike Trout's one of the greatest players of all time, but if you don't have a pitching staff and a bunch suck. of guys around you, it's yeah, it's not going to matter. You don't just you don't just take a great player and put them on a bad team and they go from 50 wins to 90 wins. So, Maurer had a lot of bad pitching staffs. If if Francisco Liriano hadn't torn his elbow mm-hmm. in 2006. Do they get more games? Do they get, you know, do the, is their rotation going up against the A's and the Yankees? And, and now he gets six extra games to hit a double down the line, which he did once, too. Because he didn't call Cousy's it fair. And he lost it. Correct. Could have changed everything. I, yeah. I also think that Joe's going to benefit from the fact that I think the old guard that voted for the, the Hall of Fame probably would have said, no defining moment, not a bulldog, right? He wasn't a bulldog type of player. But I think the up-and-coming people who are going to vote are going to look at Maurer's career much differently, which is much more statistically, and and that there's going to be an appreciation. The old-school baseball guys were what? You know, you're hurt, spit on it. I mean, you got a concussion. You're not playing? What a wimp. But the people that are going to replace those as far as as voting for the Hall of Fame are going to see it much differently. So I think Joe is going to benefit from the fact that more and more we're going to move into a voting committee that's going to to have a much a much greater 
ability to look at the statistics, take a step back, and be fair, and, and not just have perceptions of who they thought he was or wasn't. Yeah. It's also fair to say, though, he is very borderline. He, You don't just go 0 for 10 in the postseason and not have any moments in the postseason and have that not matter. Uh, you don't, at the age of 31, switch positions to a power position and put up meager numbers and have that not matter. So I don't mean to sit here and say, he's a surefire Hall of Famer, and anyone who disagrees is a moron. But I think we tend to look at him sometimes and say, well, he didn't hit for enough power. 651-646-8255. Steve and Sherwood, you're on the show. What's going on, Steve? Hey, Phil, you got your fifth win there on Saturday. That was nice. See, you doubted Gophers. Uh, I was there for one half. I I, I predicted six and six. I didn't doubt. I didn't. I didn't go five win Phil on it and go five and seven. I've still got eight wins is still a mathematical possibility, gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah, and I might start dating supermodels. But anyhow, (laughs) let's let's roll with uh, Tony Oliva's statistics. Batting wise, are are almost hauntingly kind of similar, with the exception he has more power than Maurer has. Uh, And Oliva, you know, he's, he's. well, borderline, he, he's not going to get the Hall of Fame unless some veterans thing or something changes. But two things. Bill Madlock won four batting titles. Yastrzemski won a batting title batting 301. So winning a batting title is so nebulous in the fact that you could bat 360 and not win it, and you could bat 323 and win it. So but he did hit weird. 360 to win them, though. He did have high averages. He did hit 365 in his MVP season. Which, by the way, people throw the MVP season out. People say people people indict him for the MVP season because he should have done that every year, as opposed to celebrating the greatest year of a guy's career. But anyway, Steve, go ahead. Yeah, oh, that, that was a phenomenal year. OPS, OPS plus, total bases, all that stuff was off the was off the Bill James off the charts. Number two, I don't think he got a thousand RBIs, did he? He did not. Nine hundred something. Wow. I mean, I got to tell you, when you got Al Oliver and you got all these other studs out there, Dick Allen and these guys that, you know. Uh, even Johnny Damon, when it comes to on-base percentage and runs, has, I mean, he's got like 1% in the Hall of Fame. And I, I realize that his, his defense was underrated as a catcher, despite him absolutely overthrowing a couple terrible throws in an all-star game one time. I think Phil nailed it. I think he's borderline. And if the younger writers the, or the Anthony LaPantas of the world had their way, he'd be in yesterday. But I'm not sure if he does get in. I, I think it's going to take a number of years. Steve in thanks, Steve. Uh, Sherwood, thanks for the phone call. But he was a catcher. That's my point. Correct. If if he had done this in left field, third base, I'd say probably not. But you were, but he he was a catcher. And when you are the only player in the history of your game in your league, which has been around since when nineteen oh one or something like that, to win three batting titles, that has to be considered. Yeah, the catcher thing. I mean, seriously, it has to be put put. See how Albert Pujols is wearing down the second half of that contract now that he's between, what, 35 and 40? Okay, put Albert Pujols behind the plate for 10 years in the St. Louis heat, three hours every single day for six months, eight months if you count spring training. Do you really think he'd put up the same numbers, or do you think there'd be a 20, 30% decrease, a decrease in games play? That stuff matters. I'm just pulling this out of thin air, but I remember there being some debate about Mike Piazza uh, getting into the hall, not because of his offensive numbers, but because of his defensive deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Now, he obviously hit for power, and he obviously had some moments in the postseason, and he was more of a, a larger-than-life type figure than Maurer ever was. But did Ma- does Maurer's um, defensive abilities at catcher, which dwarfed Piazza's offset, maybe 
the power numbers. Yeah, but it's so hard. It's hard to quantify too, right? Because a guy sits behind home plate, and the only the only thing we can go off of is throwing. Well, like what percentage of base dealers did he throw out? But calling a game is very nuanced that you can't explain. Yeah, and that's what people would say about Yadier Molina, right? Yadier Molina is if if you just look at his numbers is sort of borderline. But if you start to take into account how great those pitching staffs were in St. Louis for the last ten or fifteen years, and how much of an un quantifiable influence Yadier Molina had on some of these guys that went on to win World Series games, but you, it, but but it doesn't show up in a box score like a home run for a Sammy Sosa or somebody. And I think just the physical demand of playing catcher is, I mean, it's it's not like any other position in the game. I mean, you're you are you're crouching behind the plate for nine innings, day in and day out, and you're. It, you take a physical beating because you're dealing with foul tips and you know foul balls off the mask, and you've got to get up and go get a get a wild pitch in in the corner and and all of this other stuff. And to play that position like he did defensively at that level, and also hit three twenty, three twenty five, and drive in runs like that, I I just it, it it was he he shouldered a lot, man. He really shouldered a lot playing that position. What, what's our obsession with power too? Rod Carew had Rod Carew had one of the sweetest yeah, damn but it, swings. But he, but Mauer played power positions, catcher and first base. I think that's that. I would argue that catcher is, I don't think catcher is, is not be. a power position. It, no, well, first base is for not sure. anymore. But I mean, Carew play, played there too. Carew moved at the end of his career. He, yeah. yeah. Let me let me illustrate something when we come back about playing catcher. And I mean, we can sit here and say no, it's different. It's hard when you play catcher. I want I want to illustrate something about. Historically, when you play catcher versus other positions and how much of an impact it has. And also, Terry Ryan is coming up here in about 15 minutes or so on the Mackie and Judd Show. And Glenn Perkins will make his return to the show in the 5 o'clock hour. We got Murph hanging out. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off. On 1500 ESPN. Quick check on your traffic. We still have that crash on 694 westbound near Fridley uh, between Central and University Avenues. Uh, That's causing about a five-minute delay if you're headed westbound on 694, gentlemen. You're a pitcher? Wow, you must know Joe Mauer. Does Joe have a girlfriend? What's Joe's favorite kind of cheese? Cheese? Does Joe smell nice? Kids, does anyone have any questions that aren't about Joe Mauer? Have you ever thought about growing out your sideburns? That'd be hot. I'm the American League MVP. Sure you are, big guy. Joe Maurer? Maurer. Dude, we went fishing in Cabo. I'm not even allowed in Mexico. Then where did I get this? Well played, Mauer. Of a man with an ox in the batter's box, he hit one to Missouri. Cuddy, Joe, how's it going? Hey, Jim. Jim? Tommy's really thinking this Minnesota thing, huh? You betcha. <laughs> What was the first one? Yeah, I don't remember that first one. I have no idea what that was. Was it Teenage Girls? Cyburn's commercial? Was it it maybe a giveaway or something? I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Did he do Head and Shoulders? Did they do Head and Shoulders? Did he do Head and Shoulders at one point? I'm Toy Palomalu, but I owe my great hair to Head and Shoulders. (laughs) It gives me a healthy scalp and great looking hair. You making fun of me? No. You making fun of me? Yes. (laughs) 
Uh, what's this one? SVP? Big time deal, Minnesota. That Fargo is a crazy movie, wasn't it? Uh, that was North Dakota. All right, you're right. You're right. Minnesota, you, you got the Upers. No, that would be Michigan. Uh, Upper Peninsula, UP, Uper. Oh, yeah. You ever meet Prince? No. I do remember that one. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, he's not exactly Peyton Manning in his. Uh, no, in there's his not crossover. a lot of irony in Joe Mauer, right? No, not a lot. He had a nice run there where MVP season, good looking dude, one of the best players in baseball, and, on the cover of MLB The Show. Yep. After he won the MVP, well, but you know what the perfect product endorsement for him was? Milk, Lando Lakes milk. That was, I think, that was his first one, right? Yeah. As a young and it player, was perfect. The local column Absolutely or the local perfect. company. Yeah. Absolutely perfect for him. On the the, the toll it takes when you're a catcher compared to other positions here. So in the last 100 years, and now some of this is if you're a blue chip player, like Bryce Harper got moved out from behind the plate just to be protected, right? So so it's not like the pool of catchers as hitters is as talented as the pool of first basemen because they're moving guys away. Um, But in the last 100 years, there have been seven catchers in baseball history to hit 300 home runs. Seven. And there's been 46 first basemen to hit 300-plus home runs. Uh, seven catchers? Only seven. So I'd say Johnny Bench, Mike Piazza, Yogi Berra. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Fisk. Carlton Fisk. Uh, let me see. Carlton Fisk is 376. Yep. Okay. Uh, Gary Carter. Gary Carter. Look at you right now. You're missing. Um, you're missing two. I'm missing two. Since what year? Last, Actually, you might have named someone who wasn't on this, but uh, the last hundred years. Oh, last hundred years. Uh, Yogi, uh, Mickey Cochran. <laughs> Actually, there's three more guys on here. Mickey Cochran. He might have been before. He might have been before. When did Mickey Cochran play? Uh, no, was 20s, he, 30s, 20s, 30s. Okay, yeah, he was in the 30s. Uh, Lance Parrish, yeah, Gary Carter, and Ivan Pudge Rodriguez. Oh, oh yeah, Pudge. okay. He had 311 as a catcher with an asterisk, of course. <clears throat> yeah. Well, he didn't get caught, right? Yeah, he did. I, th- I think sure he, te- he did. Didn't he test positive? Oh, he did. Okay. Well, if he didn't, he came to spring training he, sh- as a shrunken back, man one yeah, time. Yeah, he came back small. <laughs> I thought he didn't get caught and just came back really small. And, and you're he like, was evasive. Hey, Pudge, you've lost a lot of weight. Yep, South Beach diet. And it looks like. Oh, no and, carbs. And it looks like you went on an anti-muscle diet. What happened there? No carbs. Like you're not, oil. You're not skinnier. You're smaller. <laughs> and you've lost muscle. This seems odd, Pudge. I think that's one thing that people wondered about Joe Maurer, too, is, oh, what happened in that 2009 season? Have, have you seen his arms? He's not exactly, he's not exactly well, Jose Canseco in 1989. If the doctor pulled out a hypodermic needle to put him, he'd run screaming <laughs> from the OR. You know, it just would not. And listen, Joe is not injecting himself. Joe, Joe was a beneficiary of the fact that that Metrodome wall, once they took down the plexiglass, was right there yeah. for him. Think about how the many... Twins, I, I think, owe him uh, a bit of a... four eleven to left center field? Come how, on. How, man, how many Maurer fly ball outs to the, the warning track at Target Field... Of course. ...would have easily... Been ten rows deep. ...gone over that wall? Yeah, somebody the actually, they have different websites that you can overlay a stadium and see, okay, well, what it would if this had been the Metrodome or if this had been the Green Monster at Fenway... How many of those flyball caughts five feet in front of the warning track would have bounced off the green monster or would have gone over the fence at, I think the first few years too, nobody was hitting the ball at the target field. Now it's kind of settled in. It's more of a hitter's park than it was, but concrete, the yeah, concrete, they, they the concrete had to curate. No, it had to curate. Oh, that's the word. Oh, wow. Okay. That's the uh, engineering word there, buddy. It's curate. curate, huh? Look at you. It takes years to curate. Man, that's uh could you imagine his MVP season if he was with the Red Sox? 
yeah. playing at playing half his home games at Fenway with that wall. I mean, in terms of what his numbers would have been, or, yeah. or just how monstrous the season would have been, twenty eight home, he would have probably had thirty five home runs then. Yeah, and yeah. just like if if he had, and this is the ultimate, you know, the the, the Twins fans who are mad about the twenty three million dollars a year. Okay, well, what if he had put up? What if he had put up some of the seasons in which he was hitting three hundred after the contract turned over? And it's at Fenway Park, and it's for a Red Sox team. And I guarantee you that that dude would have had a ring if you would have gone to Boston. Probably would have had a ring if you went to New York, although they might not have won one over that stretch. They, they got beat a couple times. He would have been the difference maker. Maybe. Yeah. Guy who gets on base, who feeds some of those power bats in the middle. So should we hear from Terry Ryan when we come back here? Do that. Cool. And Murph, you got work to do, I'm sure. So. No, I'm already written. Oh, you can I, hang, I, hang out with no, us. No, I'll, I'll, no, I'll stick around. Yeah, I'll cool. hang out for come a little on. bit. Uh, we did pre-record Terry Ryan, so you'll hear that when you come back and you can uh, and you can see what he has to say about Joe Maurer as a 14, 15-year-old kid in high school. And later on, Glenn Perkins will join the show, make his return in about 45 minutes from now. It's Mackie and Judd, Brian Murphy from the Pioneer Press, Twin Cities. Uh, dot com from the TCL Broadcast Studio. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Ken Herbeck, Jack Morris, Tim Laudner. I want to thank you for showing me how to be a Minnesota twin. Terry Ryan. I want to thank you for taking a chance on a St. Paul kid back in 2001. I know that draft was loaded with talent and there were a lot of great options out there. But I'm so thankful you had the confidence in me. And it means more to me than you'll ever know. Bill Smith, I want to thank you for helping to keep me in this uniform. I never wanted to play anywhere else, and it's been a true honor to wear one jersey all these years. Jerry Bell, thank you. Jim Rance, thank you guys. You mean the world to me. Uh, Joe Maurer retiring earlier today at Target Field in uh, front of all, I mean, the, the the people that came back, the Ron Garden hires and Bill Smith, Paul, heck, Paul Molitor just got fired a couple weeks ago, and he came back for uh, for the retirement press conference today. And we'll hear from Glenn Perkins a little bit later on in the show, about 45 minutes from now. But I had a chance. I ran into Terry Ryan, former Twins general manager, currently working for the Philadelphia Phillies, and had a chance to sit down with him for a few minutes to talk about the first time he ever scouted Joe Maurer as the general manager. Joe Maurer was a freshman, sophomore in high school. And uh, Terry gave some insights on Joe and, uh, and his career and their time together in the Twins organization. You corrected Joe when when he said you guys met when he was 15 years old. You have a memory of a of a steel trap, and you said he was 14 years old. What what was uh, Joe Maurer like at 14 years old, yeah, Terry? I, I'll tell you, Philly looked very, very similar to the way he looks nowadays. You know, he had that good swing and certainly could throw and run. Great athlete, all those things. You just kind of you're out there looking at maybe somebody else, and there's this little 14 or 15 year old kid there. And now we're going to put that guy on our follow list, which we did. And then we saw him all over the world, of course. So it wasn't like we didn't know a lot about him. So when, when did you, when did the organization know with Mark Pryor's in that draft, there's all these big gun names, how far in was it? Was it a year out? I mean, how far, how long did it take to realize, okay, this high school kid, this is our number one pick, hands down? I don't know if we zeroed in on that, Phil, until we got into the, 
the uh, two what was it the 2001 draft all of a sudden things are starting to speed up in march and april and Joe hadn't even started his season yet, and, and Pryor's deep into it, and Teixeira's deep into it. We had a pretty good read on both those guys. Teixeira broke his ankle, so that set him back a little bit. But I guess when we got into late April, all of a sudden Joe's starting to do the things that he's very capable of doing. Then it got down to the last not two weeks probably before we really got everybody in one room and we had probably 14 or 15 guys in there that had a legitimate vote on who we're going to take. It came down pretty close, so you got to admit that. But Mike Radcliffe was the scouting director, and I, Mike made the decision for the entire organization. Well, we had all, all kinds of opinions, but I, the scouting director ought to make that call, not me and, and not a cross-checker and hopefully never ownership. You'd like to think that they'd give the – independent call to the, the scouting department and that's kind of how it went yeah do you have any favorite joe mauer stories either stories from when he was a young kid or leadership stories just things that you've you know had in you, your brain i'll tell you what I, I went into the minor leagues when we signed him and elizabethan is where we put him he was above that league as an 18 year old guy and that mm-hmm. doesn't happen too often uh i was i was heartbroken when he broke into the major league uh, that particular game when he hurt his knee, that was devastating. I hated that. But I remember seeing him in high school at, at Creighton. He's catching six innings, and here he comes in to close the game. And he's popping 92s and 3s and 4s, thinking, oh, heck, this guy would be a draft as a pitcher as well. I watched him play basketball. He's a Division One basketball type for me. I saw him play a lot of football games. You know, I was worried about signability, as we should be. But, you know, as it came down to the end, there's no doubt that he wanted to play baseball and he wanted to sign. Yeah. What kind of a football, if, if he had gone to Florida State, what do you think 20 years later, what do you think we'd be talking about? Well, he Obviously, he pure, made enough money playing baseball. so He, he made was the... a pure drop-back passer. I mean, he could throw a football, and he had a great body then, and you knew he'd fill in, and he could run. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt that he was going to be an athletic quarterback no matter what he did. But... He didn't want to play football as, as badly. Of course, the, his draft status helped that cause. If he'd have been a 20th-round draft, I, you might have had a battle on your hands. But when you're drafting 1-1 and you get the, the sizable bonus and so forth, he wanted to play the game. And ironically, we took his brother, Jake, in the draft to maybe help the mentoring phase. But it was a, just an ideal scenario for us to have the number one pick, which I... As you know, I didn't really particularly want a number one pick, but we got it. Yeah. You know, I, I, Terry Ryan is, is with us here on Mackey and Judd, and it's, um, it's interesting to see some of the seasons in which you guys popped up. And the 2006 season, I think, is the one that's the most memorable with MVP and batting title and Torrey Hunter. And what if, if Francisco Liriano hadn't gotten hurt that season, and that's, the, that's getting into the peak of Joe Maurer and the peak of Justin Morneau, how yeah. do you think that season plays out differently? Oh, and the and the peak we had Joe Nathan too. Phil. Yeah. I mean, we had some phenomenal talent this year. And losing Liriano, when you pitch Santana and Liriano, there's no question you're probably going to win back-to-back games. And Radke was a part of that staff as well. We had a very good team, and unfortunately, it just didn't work out. I I hate to say that, but man, that looked like a good club, and it was a good club. And we just 
losing Liriano hurt quite a bit. Yeah. What will be, as you think of Joe Maurer, and, and, and you've known him for two decades, what will be the first thing that sticks in your mind ten years from now as you look back on his career and, and him as a player, him as a person? There's no doubt in my mind he's a gold glove, left-handed, batting title catcher. He can shut down a running game. He was probably the best base runner we had through most of his career. But there wasn't a skill that he didn't possess unless you're worried about power. And a lot of people were when he went moved to first. You didn't hear it too much as a catcher. But he had all those darn skills. It's hard to, I don't know if you'll have a catcher come along with those skills here in the near future. He just, he could do everything. Yeah, just, when, just on the power front, it feels to me, I've always said this for 10 years with him, that people, instead of celebrating what he is, batting champion, highest on-base percentage of his era next to a couple other players, it feels like people always nitpicked him, the people who did, for not being perfect. When you hear people criticizing, oh, lack of power, or should have had 100 RBIs five or six times in his career, what, what do you think of that? Well, I think that's a legitimate concern if you're talking about first base. I don't think it is if you're talking about a catcher. So, yeah, there is, you know, you, you give a guy a contract, and it's sizable, and all of a sudden he ends up at first base. You're going to have people nitpicking at that for sure. But if he had stayed behind the plate that entire time, he'd be a lock for the Hall of Fame, number one. And number two, no, you don't worry too much about power when you have a guy back there. I thought we were set for about 15 years behind the plate, and unfortunately he got hurt. Yep, yep. Terry Ryan, thank you for your time here. For fans listening, how are you, and what are you up to these days? I'm doing good, Phil. I'm working for the Phillies, mm -hmm. and I have been for the last couple of years. And Obviously, we had a good start last year. We didn't have a good finish, but I'm in a good spot. I'm healthy and things of that nature as far as cancer. And I appreciate you asking, but this was a good day up here for all of us involved. Thanks, Terry. All right, Phil. Terry Ryan, uh, catching up with him after the Joe Maurer retirement press conference. And Brian Murphy's hanging out with us here on Mackie and Judd from the Pioneer Press. You go back 30 years of Twins baseball here, and it's been some combination of Joe Maurer, Terry Ryan, Ron Gardenhire, Tom Kelly. And uh, now that all four of those guys are officially either out of baseball or working for other organizations in some form, it you know, it's it's been a new era of Twins baseball for a while here because they did hire Falvey and Levine a couple years ago, and now Rocco Baldelli is the new manager. So you say goodbye to Paul Molitor, but saying goodbye to Paul Molitor, Joe Maurer, Garden Hire a couple years ago, Terry Ryan a couple years ago. Um, if there was any question whether we're in the middle of transition here, um, there should be no more question. It feels a lot more corporate too, doesn't it? Oh, it definitely is, and that's fine. It's just that this this was the last piece of, of mom and pop what operation. became the Twins way, right? This was the last piece of the Metrodome because 90, what, approximately 94 to 2000 were awful. They were just terrible. And then it began to swing. They drafted Joe. And so, yes, this this is the last piece of that team and of the fact that they they thoroughly turned a corner. And the only really surprising thing is that the decline starting in 11 was so steep. I could have seen From them... From the franchise, you mean? Yes, and and I could have definitely seen them going into a period at Target Field where things weren't fantastic and weren't great, but I never could have predicted that, that this team would, would go basically back into the... Metrodome type years, but yeah, this is the last. This is the last guy from that group of Morneau and Santana, Liriano, Terry Ryan, Tom Kelly. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the target, even tracing back to Corey Koski and McCavich. You're right. 
Yeah, I mean, he he does he links the contraction twins together with the Target Field era twins, and to unfortunately the Fal, to the Falvine era. Yep, he's the through line the, through it all. He is, and and unfortunately for the Target Field era twins, you thought to what Jeb was saying, you thought that Morno and Maurer in the middle of their primes, and Maurer coming off an MVP season, you thought, well, this is gonna I mean, this is gonna be the house that the M M&M and M boys built, and yeah, it's the house that Joe Maurer lived in for a few years, but. It wasn't, uh, and it hasn't been. It's been almost a decade, and he just it, they've they haven't they've they've popped up a couple times, but that era was supposed to continue longer. Oh, absolutely, it was, and it and it didn't. The Denard Span and that nucleus that if, nucleus they had in 2010 was supposed to continue longer. If things go as planned, the eight year Mauer contract makes perfect sense. Nobody complains. Everybody says this is fantastic. That whole that contract. Actually, I think you can go back now and make a very good case that that contract at the time seemed incredibly smart, and the plan to to be able to build around Joe, you're like, of course, makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And for that franchise's decline to start in the same year that that contract did was really surprising. Yeah. The saddest song of pen and tongue and pen. The saddest song of tongue and pen, what might have been. Yes. Right? That's, the, that's everybody. We'll always wonder... What if, you know, if he didn't take that that mean series of foul tips in the summer of 13 off of his mask and he continued catching. Now, granted, the franchise was in the death throes at that point anyway, but you'll never know. And I think that's going to dog, you know, Mickey Mantle had a fantastic career, Hall of Fame career, first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. But there was always a sense, too, that if he had just taken care of himself a little bit more, and if he didn't went. have the knees yeah. go, that he might have been the greatest to ever play the game. And... Again, I'm not saying Maurer would have been the greatest to ever play the game, but there's so much that's that's left up for debate, so much that's left on the table, and I just you he he's content with where he's at in his career and his life, and he picked he chose when to go out, and not every ball player can do that. So I think it's a it's a good day for him, and it should be I think as we move along here. Uh, there'll be a greater appreciation in the home market that may actually catch up to the national perception. If he doesn't uh, suffer the concussion in May, though, he's back for a year or two at least. You're convinced of that? I'm Here. Con- I'm He'd never go anywhere else. No, right? no, no. But I, I am con- I'm convinced the concussion in May made him sit down with his family and say, is this worth it? Because he, he seemingly had distanced himself from the catching concussions. And I think at that point it said, okay, I found a position that's say for me i'm good there and i really think that if he doesn't suffer that concussion he plays he saw he we're, we're talking today about a year or two contract extension not a retirement yeah you know we were talking with terry ryan there about the 2006 season and that really is the one and that's i know that's not his mvp season they did go to the playoffs in 09 too and that was i think that was the phil cuzzy year and that's the year that he won the mvp award so that the 09 season is joe mauer's stamp career season but the 2006 season is his era as a, from a team standpoint. That's the stamp season where all of those things came together. How do you lose to Oakland in three games? That's the thing. Like, <laughs> no if one he, can explain it to this day. You know, if if they could have gone on a longer ride and and gotten to the World Series, I, it, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is his legacy and his career as a twin does feel a little bit unfulfilling in some ways because of what could have been because of the injuries and because of, man, could they have gone on one run in 2006? Could they have carried that momentum from September of 2009 in game 160? Could they have done it one time in the 10 years? 
And I'm not blaming him, but people do blame him, and people do look at the resume and say, well, I mean, maybe you should have put the team on your back, that like, like Kirby fair. did. That part's not fair, though. Now, people say, well, Kirby put the team on his back. Yeah, well, Jack Morris had something to say about that, too. Exactly. And there's a lot of other guys on that team that were incredible, and that team came together at the right time to beat the Tigers, to beat the Blue Jays, to beat the Braves, to beat the Cardinals in 1987. You, you make a great point, because if Jack Morris doesn't pitch his masterpiece in Game 7, and let's say they lose Game 7, how much of the shine of Kirby Puckett's Game 6 heroics uh, loses some of its luster. Yeah, it becomes a lot more like the Stefan Diggs catch, yeah. which is followed up with a dud the in Philadelphia. Philly, Philly face plant. And it, it's cool, but 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 what Jack did took Puck and put put him in this rare air of without Puck, you don't get to You're right. Morris. There's no doubt. Vice versa. But to play but to put that on Joe is completely unfair to Joe. Yeah. And and listen, how that team got swept, I have no clue. I mean, to this day, Tory Hunter dove for a ball he shouldn't have. Yeah, to this day, and Marco the, Scudero went off. Yeah, for but exactly some inexplicable that's, reason. That's the point. Marco bleep and Scudero. <laughs> but I think to take a step back and still to go to what Joe did for those ten years, playing a position that's incredibly dif- difficult to play, and being good at the position and so good at the plate. There's. I think as the far- farther that we get away from Joe now, there's going to be a- an appreciation for it. Uh, no doubt. That doesn't exist today no and certainly did not exist for the past five or ten years. Yes. History will be much kinder yes. to Joe Maurer than the Rubes. Yeah, that's that's a good way to that's we're gonna let the mic drop right there. Wow, how about that, huh, guys? Brian Murphy Thanks. Twin Cities. Great to see you. Try the feel. <laughs> be playing here all week, Murph. Um we will hear from Glenn Perkins later on in the show. And uh, instead of rapping with Roycey, we're gonna get extended Patrick Roycey. At 5.30, Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on your traffic here. 35W northbound. We've got a crash uh, near Moundsview. That's uh, between Highway 10 and Anoka County Road J. Be on the lookout for a crash northbound on W near Moundsview. Gentlemen. 2009 American League Most Valuable Player, Joe Mount. I'm uh, kind of speechless right now. He had one of the greatest seasons ever by a catcher. Now to think I'm an MVP is, is uh, I don't know, I can't really describe it. High drive, left center field. Going back is Bradley. Going back is Bradley. It's gone. Oh, walk-off home run for Joe Mount. Ground ball, single, base hit, center field. Joe Mauer, his first major league hit. Petersburg, too. Here's a drive to left. Alex Gordon going back. And Mauer with a home run. Seven runs batted in on a five hit night. Oh, man. We got all kinds of stuff in the archives oh, great, here, yeah. too. Oh, the commercials are commercials. hilarious. Got you with the slider. I could hit you. Oh, yeah? Let's do it. Bring it, me. Hit this, batting champ. Bring it, all-star. Joe, will you boys take it outside? And Joe Nathan playing, pretty playing good, baseball in the basement. Yeah. So K- Katie tweets in, the reason the Twins lost to the A's in 2006 is because their two and three starters in that series were old and injured, Radke and, blast from the past, 
Boof Bonzer. They didn't have the starters to make a deep playoff run. Boof started well, game they, two. I but they still got that. swept, which yeah. is still what surprises me. They didn't. They did. Well, they did have the starters to make. They they had the starters before Francisco Liriano went down to beat anybody in baseball in a seven game series. They had the two best starting pitchers in baseball. Liriano was better than Johan Santana for two months, mm-hmm. and then he tore his UCL and was out for the season. But that's that's the one season when I look back at Joe Maurer's career and think, what's the biggest regret? It's not even really on behalf of him because the biggest regrets on behalf of him would be injuries and probably just injuries for the most part. Because right. I don't get hung up on the power thing as much. The guy got on base at a Hall of Fame level, and that's that should be celebrated. But it's that 06 season where, man, like how do you not win a playoff game? <laughs> how do you not win a playoff game with that team? The best closer next to next to oh yeah no that was uh, that was a really really Mariana good twin that was a really good twins team yeah and to get swept but. By the A's and Marco Scudero. I mean, think about that. The Twins got uh, it was Adam Kennedy in the 2002 yes, ALCS was. that hit three home runs in the clincher game. The rally Number nine hitter for the Angels. God, <laughs> amazing. It's intriguing though because this this town is a sports town where we can be fairly passionate, especially about a team like the Vikings. But when you think about it, I think the most the the most intricate relationship between the fans of this town and an athlete who has played here for an extended period will always be Joe. Because I really don't get it. Like, people in this town, it takes a lot for us to turn on a player. Jimmy Butler, we got mad at. But rightfully so. Totally get that. But it's usually if they, they want to leave if us. If they want to leave us, or we, or, or we perceive them to not be what? One of us, right? Yeah. Joe was exactly that. And... I don't know if it's because people didn't like the personality or what, but it was interesting to watch the evolution of the relationship in this town turn on a guy who was from here. And ordinarily, if I told you Joe's story, you'd be like, oh, fans loved him, right? And yet they didn't. It's a very very interesting dynamic to a a relationship that I thought – would have been one where the fans loved the guy consistently and they didn't for a long time. I almost think it's, I mean, it's an interesting puzzle to try and solve. And it's also, we're probably taking a somewhat minority group of people that just ragged on him and ragged on him and maybe blowing it up. But I don't know. I mean, he got, I think he it was got, pretty big, Phil. He got booed for a while. I think it was a combination of three things and all three are very different. Number one was money. If he made $5 million instead of $23 million, which is still crazy money compared to what most people make in their day jobs, we wouldn't view it as him being overpaid as much. Or in some ways, I think we viewed him as the reason why they couldn't have better pitching. Well, there's no salary cap. So, yeah, I mean, there's like revenue caps. So if, if they wanted to go spend an extra $5 million on somebody not in Jason Marquis, then they could have done it with or without Joe Maurer's contract. Um, the second thing I think is, this is, Maybe this is too deep, but is it that we thought, hey, this is the Minnesotan that's going to put us on the map? He's going to be, not, he's not just going to be a good player. He's going to be the best player in baseball after that 2009 season. This is going to be, hmm. this is going to be our stamp on the, the sporting world, the rest of the country. And he never got back to that 2009 level. So in some ways, we thought he was going to represent us on this completely different level, and he didn't. Does that make sense? It does. And so we're almost like disappointed. I don't know, though. By we, I mean not me, but the people that rag on him. I think it's money. I almost think it's, man, you could have been this, 
But instead, you're this. I forget what the third thing was. I think it's a combination of I think, both. I think it's the fact that the big contract starts in 11 and the team goes in the toilet completely. And and I will always contend the Twins did him a massive disservice by coming up with a name for an injury and that name basically was just a punchline. Well, Bilateral leg weakness is a punchline of a, to say that that's it. Nobody comprehended it. Nobody knew. And I think that was a monumental mistake. And if Joe ever should have stood up for himself and said, "Gentlemen, here's what's wrong." Yeah, it was at that time. If there was one moment where Joe should have read the winds as far as PR goes and said, "You know what, Terry or Billy." forget you, I'm going to go out here and tell people what's wrong. It was with that one. That was actually the third thing on my list that escaped me. It's the, the combination of his his lack of transparency in some ways, where he, was, he wasn't he was the guy who was going to come out and say, you know, I'm just going to be super honest right now. My knee hurts, or I'm going through this ailment over here. Yep. Uh, I mean, the guy thanked his Mayo Clinic doctors today. I don't know if you caught that oh, in his 30-minute press every, conference. I caught right? every moment, every thank you. But he was never super open and honest about the stuff he was going through. Right. And so fans just thought he was a wuss. Yes. Some fans just thought he was a wuss. And and really, he's the opposite because he's grinding through all this pain. And but But this perception that he's not a grinder because he doesn't have that super fiery personality, right? He So he didn't do himself a lot of favors with those people by withdrawing. When mm-hmm. it came down to, hey, what's wrong with you? And he would withdraw. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I do think, though, that, that the Joe that we saw on the last day of the season and today, if that guy had come out once in a while, that the perception is different. Because that guy, he's still bland, but there was something there. Yeah. And he wouldn't show that for, for the majority of his 15-year career. Plenty more on Joe Maurer and the retirement uh, press conference from earlier today. Glenn Perkins will join the show in about 15 or 20 minutes from now. Uh, Royce will join us for some expanded discussion around 5.30. Let's get back to the other big thing from the weekend, which is, oh, you know, the Wolves trading their best player. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by Leaf owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.